the title of today's message is The Acid Test of the Gospel. Uh, The Acid Test, I think we use that phrase in our language today uh, to talk about the success of something when you test it or the value of something. It's where the rubber meets the road, you could say. Kind of the same type of verbiage. Well, here in Colossians 3, as Robert has taught already last two weeks, Christ wants to know if your life can pass the acid test of the gospel. In other words, he wants to know if, as the gospel comes to you, does it make an impact on your life? In other words, Christ comes to you in Colossians 3, And says to you, I know something about our union together. You claim to have union with me by faith in the gospel. But while we're having a conversation, may I go to your spouse and ask him or her if that union has impacted your life. And while I'm at it, Christ says, I'm going to go down the hall and have a conversation with your children and ask your children if the union you claim to have with me has impacted your life. And while I'm at it, Christ says, I'm going to follow you to work. And I'm going to ask your co-workers, and your colleagues, if your life can pass the acid test of the gospel. That's where we're going today. We're going to look at the married life, the family life, and the working life. Let's begin with the married life. Verse 18, Paul writes, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Fairly straightforward, has caused a little bit of controversy. The word submit is in the middle voice. There's three voices in the Greek text, active, middle, passive. It's the manner upon which the subject acts upon the verb. This is in the middle voice. It's the reflexive voice, in other words. I won't get too nerdy. But it is the reflexive voice. So it may indicate that the wife takes personal responsibility to voluntarily submit herself to her husband. Is that clear? There's a sense of personal accountability in the wife's part. So it could be translated, submitting yourselves, wives, is as fitting in the Lord. So it's not so much that the husband demands his wife's submission, but rather the wife sees to it herself that she submits. That's the idea. And then Paul says, as is fitting in the Lord. So submitting, he says, is right. It's good. It's proper. It's healthy. 
It is not demeaning. Submitting to your husband is not being out of touch. You are not giving up your womanhood. It is fitting, Paul says, because it is the Lord's will and design. And our culture can rant and rave against this truth all they want, but they will continue to reap the fractured life of which they have sowed. So wives, submit to your husbands. It's the acid test of the gospel, in a sense. Husbands, love your wives, Paul says, and do not be harsh with them. Uh, love your wives. It's the best commentary on this is Ephesians 5, so why don't you turn back there a couple of books Ephesians 5.25. Go there with me. Paul writes in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So love has a model. In other words, Husbands. And that model is the gospel, Paul says. Love your wives as, there's our comparative conjunction, as Christ loved the church. And how did Christ express his love for the church? He gave himself up for her. He, as we say today, bent over backwards. For her. This, brothers, is your acid test of the gospel that you give yourself, your whole self, to your bride. She did not marry you, brothers, because of what you would become. And she did not marry you because of what you would earn. She married you because she wanted you. That you give your whole self and your whole self to your bride. Think of Christ as he's in his days of humiliation. He comes out of glory. He thought about his bride, his entire ministry on earth. He did everything to serve his bride. In his days of humiliation, he lived for her. He thought for her. And ultimately, he died for her. And even now, in his state of exaltation, as he reigns in glory now, at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, Christ, even now, in his state of exaltation, he does all things for his bride. There's never a day when Christ does not serve his bride Never a day. And Christ says to you, brothers, may there never be a time, may there never be a day where you don't love your wife as Christ loves the church. Back to Colossians, uh, Paul says, 
uh, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So do not become embittered. Do not be angry. Paul says, put away your roughness and put away your shortness. Put away your fierceness and your tone. Christ says to you today, husbands, son, the strength of a husband is in his tenderness, not in his toughness. Love your wives as Christ loves the church and do not be harsh with her. Again, as Christ does for his bride, he is so gentle with his bride. Everything he does is tender. He talks about her in the Song of Solomon. He says, oh, you are beautiful beyond others. He tells his bride in there that she's flawless. And Christ says to you, oh, son, the strength of a husband is not found in his toughness but in his tenderness. So what you have here in the married life, you get a picture of the gospel for the children to see that all the way that all the ways the church submits to Christ, so the wife submits to her husband. And all the ways Christ loves the church, so the husband loves his wife. Which brings us to the family line. He says, children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. It's interesting that there are six different categories of people in this text. Wives and husbands, children and parents, masters and slaves. But the most common expression in the text is in the Lord or the master or the Lord. It appears eight times. It's as if Paul wants us to see that our covenantal relationships are purposed ultimately for the Lord so even children, Paul says, as they obey their parents, there's a sense in which their obedience goes beyond their parents. And they're obeying them, they're trusting them, they're loving them, because that's what pleases the Lord. That's what pleases the Lord. Now I realize this is very difficult for children. I was once one. The pressure the peer pressure to challenge our parents, to distance ourselves from our parents, to question our parents. It's a difficult thing being a child. And yet, isn't it true, beloved? Would you agree with me that one of the most beautiful things in all the world is when a young Christian boy or girl and heartfelt devotion for the Lord, and loves mom and dad, 
And despite what friends may say or do or think, that little Christian boy or girl renders loving submission and obedience to mom and dad. It's one of the most beautiful things in all the world. What a simple way, young people. What a simple way, boys and girls, to bear testimony to your faith in Christ. To swim against the tide of this world that says disrespect and dishonor and challenge. What a simple way, boys and girls, to demonstrate your love for Christ, to simply love and honor and respect and obey your mom and your dad. And then Paul turns his attention to the fathers. It's not as though mothers have no place in raising children, but the fathers are the head of the home, and so he addresses the fathers. And he says, Do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Do not provoke, he says. The idea is to not stir up a child. Do not agitate a child. Do not exasperate them. And the reason given in the text is lest they become discouraged, lest they become disheartened. When parents provoke, when there is excessive discipline, harsh speech, unclear standards, unrealistic goals, or an inability, parents, to admit you're wrong, children become disheartened. They get discouraged. Isn't it true, parents, that our kids read us like a book? They know who we are. And when you provoke, when you agitate, and when you are harsh with them, all their souls begin to shriek about this big. They get so small. Because all they want is your affection and your approval. That when you provoke, a children loses his or her way from mom and dad. So in the same way, fathers, that Christian children need to swim against the tide of the peer pressure of disrespect, so you need to swim against the tide of harshness in your children. Have you ever been in the line at the grocery store or, I don't know, somewhere, and you've heard a dad say to their children, well, when I was your age, I did this, and you're not doing that. When I was your age, I was able to, th to do this, and look at you. You can't do anything. Sometimes I want to turn around and grab that man by the collar. You weak, prideful, foolish man. That's what you are. Do not agitate and provoke your children. 
You are not a parent to elevate yourself above them. So a father's acid test of the gospel is that he's tender. He's kind. He instructs his covenant children in Christ. Paul then turns to the working life. Married life, family life, now the working life. He says, slaves, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Notice, beloved, that Paul nowhere commands slaves to rise up and rebel. Nowhere. He never commands slaves to rise up and rebel. Why is that? Ever thought about that? Why doesn't Paul say, you know, this is kind of a bad institution. You should rise up and rebel. There's many reasons. Here's mine. Because Paul wants Christians to demonstrate that the gospel works in the worst of all circumstances. So slaves, if you're a child, slaves, if you're an adult, obey your masters. And that will be the testimony upon which they might be converted. So he reminds Christian slaves, obey your masters. And this obedience, Paul says, is not to be merely external or begrudging duty. He says, look at it, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but rather, he says, out of sincerity of heart, there's an inward desire. Sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So obedience, Paul says, is first inward, a matter of your soul. Some of you work in difficult jobs. And you find it hard to obey your co-workers, colleagues, supervisors. And I love what Paul says here. He says, you know, there's something transcendental about your work. There's something beyond the timesheet in the office. There's something beyond it. And that something, he says, is the glory and pleasure of the Lord. You're doing it, Paul says, verse 23, for the Lord and not for men. Verse 25, you're serving the Lord Christ. There's something so transcendental, something beyond work. Sometimes I go down to the office and I'm thinking, what am I doing again? I just did this last week. You ever get that feeling? Everything's so horizontal with me sometimes. You're probably thinking, you're a pastor. How are things horizontal? They are. The same is true for you. 
There's something beyond what you're doing. It's for the glory of God. And Paul levels the playing field here. He says to masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So lest, lest the Christian master become overbearing or unfair with his servants, so low wages, uh, poor accommodations, unequal treatment. Paul reminds him, and I love this, you know, you also are a slave. You also have a master. You may have servants who work for you, he says, but never forget that at the end of the day, you're just like them. You have a master in heaven, Paul says. You too have been purchased. You too have been bought. But not by the currency of this age, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So at the end of the day, Master, you're not so much different than these servants. Beloved, that's really what this text is all about. It's about serving, isn't it? Whatever category you find yourself in, it's about dying to self. It's about serving Christ. It's about those transcendentals of life. Namely, the glory and supremacy of Jesus Christ. That you do all things by Him and for Him. Why? Because He's purchased you and you are His slave. And now He's freed you to serve others. That's what this text really is all about. Let me close with this just story I think I've told before, but I just love it. I'm going to tell it again. I think it captures the idea of service and being a slave of Christ. A wealthy, a wealthy Englishman went to California in the 1850s to enrich himself during the gold rush. True story. After much success, he left to go back to England. He stopped at New Orleans on the way home, and as all tourists did at that time, visited the infamous slave trading block. As he approached the place where people were sold for cash, he saw a beautiful young African woman standing on the block. He overheard two men who were trying to outbid each other for the woman, talking about what they would do to her if they could buy her. To their surprise, the Englishman joined in the bidding by offering twice the price. The auctioneer was astonished. No one, he said, has ever offered this much for a slave. After purchasing her, the Englishman stepped forward to get her. When he helped her down to his level, she spat in his face. He wiped away the spit and led her to the building to another part of town. There she watched unknowingly as he filled out the forms 
To her astonishment, he handed her some manumission papers and said, There, now you're a free woman. She spat in his face again. Don't you understand, he said? You're free. You're free. She stared at him in disbelief a long while. Then she fell at his feet and wept, and wept some more. Finally, she looked up and asked, Sir, is it really true that you paid more than anyone has ever paid to purchase me as a slave, only to set me free? Yes, he said. She wept some more. And she finally spoke. Sir, I have one request. Can I be your slave forever? That's what the Lord has done to us, hasn't he? He's purchased you with his own blood and made you his own. And now he says to you, you're free. You're free to serve and submit and obey and be tender all the days of your life. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for these words that are challenging and are comforting. Oh, Christ, remind us of what we are at the end of the day. Help us to be dead to self. Free to serve our great King and free to serve our neighbor. In Christ's name.